Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back, SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we've got Keith Idek, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. Keith and I look back on Virgil Ortiz's performance this past weekend. We look ahead to a big heavyweight rematch between Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin. Some news with Gervonta Davis, some news with Ryan Garcia, all that and more with Keith Idek from Boxing Scene. A little bit later on, Demetrius Andrade, the WBO middleweight champion, been a rough couple of months for Demetrius. He has watched some of his peers book some big fights while he is set for a title defense against Liam Williams on April 17th. To talk to Demetrius about all that and what he hopes happens for him in 2021. As always, best way to support this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to the show. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? Oh, all the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, Keith Idek is back, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. And Keith was just telling me off camera how excited he is for Erislandi Lara, Thomas Lamana, the WBA 160-pound title fight that was announced this week. Keith, uh, anything you want to add to that? I know, you know you feel like the WBA championship should be on the line here as uh, – Paris Landy Lara has a decorated history at middleweight, and Lamana is uh, clearly qualified. Uh, you want to add anything there? It, it is amazing that the WBA just never ceases to amaze us, Chris, in the sense that they finally, you know, they, they elevate Murata from world champion to super champion. Just make him the champion. Why can't there be one champion? Why does there have to be four champions, three champions? They, they do it every single time, and now. As you said, they're moving Lamana's last two fights. Up. I'm not saying that he's a title shot or anything, but middleweight. Now Lara moves up to 160. Vacate, I'm assuming is vacating his 154-pound world title, which will then allow two, you know, presumably two other 
PBC fighters to fight for that. That title shouldn't exist either. So cycle here with the WBA. It's wonderful that uh, the WBA can be uh, so generous with their titles. Not that they charge these guys exorbitant sanctioning fees to fight for meaningless belts, uh, but good for you, WBA. I'd love to uh, look forward to seeing that fight headline a Fox show. That's a different story altogether. Um, all right, Keith, let's go back to last weekend first, and let's talk about Virgil Ortiz and his performance uh, against Maurice Hooker. The toughest test of Ortiz's career to date in that Hooker was – uh, the most qualified, credentialed opponent he had faced, a former world champion at 140 pounds, moving up in weight, you know, tall, rangy, good power. And Ortiz was impressive. Um, he stopped Hooker in the seventh round. Hooker broke his hand, and that was officially, you know, why he went down. But, I mean, it was trending in the direction of Hooker getting knocked out anyway. He was put down a round earlier, and he was taking some pretty good shots from a big puncher in Virgil Ortiz. And we find out after the fact, Keith, that Virgil Ortiz had COVID a month ago, which uh, makes his performance even more impressive in my mind, that he you know, kind of soldiered through that illness and you know, kept the fight on as scheduled anyway. So tell me your thoughts on what you saw from Virgil Ortiz this past weekend. Yeah, I was impressed with Virgil Ortiz, but also he showed some vulnerability, Chris. And I think, you know, uh, Maurice Hooker's a very good offensive fighter. Um, not a full-fledged welterweight, really. I mean, this was his first fight at the welterweight limit. Um, but he's a big guy. You know, he's 5'11", taller than Virgil Ortiz. But he's a very good offensive fighter. Not the best defensive fighter in the world because he's willing to give to take. And in this situation, you don't want to take too much from Virgil Ortiz because eventually that's going to catch up with you, which is what happened toward the end of that fight. As you said, you know, Maurice Hooker was hurt his hand in the seventh round of the fight, but he was well on his way to getting knocked out. And I think he would admit that as well. Uh, he came to fight give a lot of credit to Maurice Hooker, gave Virgil Ortiz clearly the toughest fight of his career. Uh, I liked uh, some of what I saw from Virgil Ortiz and, and he again showed some vulnerability, which makes fighters fascinating. When you've got a kid like that, who's so ambitious, so good offensively, so strong, yet gets hit a lot and clearly can be hit. And gets marked up and nicked up in a fight and everything. He he's going to be really fascinating to watch moving forward. I don't think necessarily that he's ready to fight Terence Crawford. Not that it matters whether he's ready or not. I mean, he's going to call him out and, and uh, campaign for the fight, which I completely understand. But um, I don't think he's quite ready for that yet. But uh, but I was impressed with um, the resilience that he showed in the fight. He he you you know you were there ringside, obviously, Chris. You saw. You know, he had some difficulties with or with uh, Hooker in, you know, specifically the third and fourth rounds, I thought, of the fight. Yeah, I like what I saw in Ortiz. I don't know if he's ready for Terrence Crawford or not. I think we both know that that fight's not going to happen next anyway. Top Rank has uh, a plan in place. I don't know what it is at this point, but a plan, they say, for Terrence Crawford in the spring and summer. But that doesn't mean there isn't a good fight available for Virgil Ortiz. I mean, I, you know, in talking to people at top rank, you know, a fighter like Kavalaskis, the mean machine could be available to Virgil Ortiz. The top rank doesn't really have anything for Kavalaskis at this point. And, you know, that would be a credible step up type of opponent. Kavalaskis is only lost to Terrence Crawford and he gave Crawford a pretty good fight uh, on that night. So I think for Ortiz, mm -hmm. that is a pretty solid matchup. If you go internally, I mean, I, 
kind of like what I saw from Marcelino Lopez on the undercard of uh, Ortiz Hooker. I mean, he's a strong guy. And at the very least, that mm-hmm. would be a really entertaining fight for as long as it lasts. So I think you get Ortiz another fight in the summer, and then we see where we're at. I mean, you know, like if I don't know what the situation is with Crawford and Top Rank, I do. It does seem to be that, you know, according to Crawford, that Spence fight just isn't going to happen. So you have to look at options for him before the end of the year. And Ortiz could be one uh, if they're if the landscape remains as barren for Crawford as it looks like right now. So I guess the bottom line is I wouldn't expect to see Ortiz Crawford next. I wouldn't rule out, though, potentially seeing it before the end of the year. It's interesting, Chris, because Crawford clearly needs a, uh, an opponent that is going to interest viewers, right? You want to see him fight someone. Of course, the, the obvious fights are Spence. That, that's the fight everyone wants to see. People wouldn't mind seeing him fighting Pacquiao at this point. Or Pacquiao has not fought in a very long time now. You know, going on two years basically, and he's forty-one years or whatever he is now. Uh, Forty, I think he's forty-one now. Um, you know, so you'd clearly rather see him fight Spence. That doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. The interesting thing about Ortiz, though, is it's really a, a, it's a high-risk, low-reward type of fight for Terence Crawford. He is ranked number two by the WBO, so he's one spot below Sean Porter, who should be implemented as the mandatory if. if you know, if things go the way they're supposed to. Um, but he is ranked number two. So he's, you know, he's a highly ranked contender. So in that sense, he would be worthy of a title shot. Um, but, you know, Terrence Crawford just made four plus million dollars to fight Kell Brook. So is he going to accept four plus million dollars to fight Virgil Ortiz, which is a risky fight for him against a 22 year old kid whose best win is against Maurice Hooker, who had already been knocked out by Jose Ramirez. So you don't know what, you know, it, I understand. I would want to see it. Sure. I mean, the kid's ambitious. He's strong. He's going to come to fight. I would want to see the fight, but it doesn't make much business sense right now for Terrence Crawford for that fight, fight as you mentioned. And as Terrence Crawford mentioned uh, after the fight as well, is a fight that he would like to see Ortiz take, not that he's his matchmaker, but he would like to see that. Be, and it makes sense because Kavalowskis is an aggressive guy. He's a strong guy. He's going to press forward. And you'd like to see what Virgil Ortiz does when he's backed up, you know, for a cons- uh, part of a fight. So if that fight makes a lot of sense. And as you said, they don't have much for Kavalowskis either at top rank. So that would make sense, especially because Oscar De La Hoya and Bob Arum have been speaking and had lunch recently and they're willing to do some, some business together. So that fight would make a lot of sense. And I think Ortiz would take that fight. I mean, to prove that he's ready, no other reason than to prove that he's ready to fight Terrence Crawford, who, as you mentioned, Chris, did... I wouldn't say he struggled, but he had some tense moments early in his fight against Kavalowskis before he just took over and beat him down. What was your reaction to Crawford both during the in-fight interview and in subsequent interviews, all but closing the door on a fight with Errol Spence? I thought he was, I mean, it's not new that he's talked like this, but I thought this was maybe the most definitive he's been that a Spence fight is not going to happen. Personally, I think he's negotiating. I, I don't believe that he'd a competitor like Terrence Crawford, who really wants to prove himself against the, despite what some people might say, Terrence Crawford wants to prove himself against the elite welterweights. Errol Spence is considered the other elite welterweight other than him, you know, to a lesser degree, Sean Porter, you know, clearly Manny Pacquiao coming off a win against Keith Thurman. Um, but Spence is the guy that everyone points to and says that Crawford couldn't beat. 
there's no way a guy as competitive as Terrence Crawford, who has that size ego, does not want to fight Errol Spence. I just think he realizes it's bad business for him to continue saying publicly, I want this fight, I want this fight, I want this fight, because it has led to nothing so far other than him taking a lot of grief from fans and being told that he's, you know, the B-side and he should take 40% of a six. I think Errol Spence even said it would be 70-30 or something crazy like that. It's a 50-50 fight. Come on, they're both undefeated champions. And while Spence has done better business on pay-per-view, he's had better dance partners as well. I mean, he he was on pay-per-view with Mikey Garcia. He was on pay-per-view with Sean Porter. Now, Sean Porter's not a you know, not a proven pay-per-view fighter either, but that turned out to be an excellent action fight. Uh, but he's had better dance partners on pay-per-view, you know, Danny Garcia, a proven fighter, of course. So I wouldn't put too, too much stock into that. I would expect Errol Spence, probably Chris, to fight your Dennis Ugas next. I don't think he's, you know, he's going to look at Terrence Crawford next, but uh, I don't think Terrence Crawford deep in his heart has given up on that fight. I just think he feels it's bad publicly to continue campaign for it when he knows that it's not going to happen, certainly next. Do you think it is? I mean, do you, do you think this PR strategy, if we want to call it that, by Crawford is the right position to take? Because if I'm Terrence Crawford, I'm saying, look, I'll take 55-45 even on a split. I'm ready to face Errol Spence right now. I I, I feel like he's the, the negative. Like when, when Crawford said what he said, you know, both to me and in subsequent interviews, it felt like the backlash was directed right at Terrence Crawford. Whereas if he had said, I'm ready to go, you know, 55-45, 50-50, let's make this happen. I feel like he, you know, took on some negative attention because of that statement. He did, but he takes on negative attention, so he probably doesn't care, right? I mean, he get <laughs> he gets criticized no matter, and he brings some of it on himself, of course, but some of it I think is unfair to a degree. Um, but I don't think he cares at this point, to be honest with you. I think, you know, when he aggressively campaigned for the Spence fight, you know, and, and they got in each other's faces, I mean, it, you know, it was tongue in cheek. I mean, they weren't ready to fight or anything, but they kind of got in each other's faces when they were both attending other fights and everything. It generated some attention, but ultimately it got up because they've never been close to making this fight happen, really. So he probably just looks at it like, look, I'm a three division world champion. I feel I'm the best fighter pound for pound in the world. He needs me as much as I need him. So when you're ready to stop fighting Ugas and whomever else you're looking to fight after that, you come let me know and we'll make the fight. I'm not saying that he's not going to get backlash for that. He, he clearly is. I mean, and he's taken a lot of it over the last several days and for the last several months, of course. But I think he's just kind of looking at it like, well, I still have a contract with top rank that lasts until later this year. Uh, I'm going to fight one more time. Hopefully they can get me an opponent that people will want to see me fight. Uh, I think Patrick DeShera losing that fight to Brian Castaño, which was not surprising to either you or I, but I think had Castaño, uh, I mean, had DeShera won that fight, we might've seen Crawford jump up seven more pounds just to, not to stay at 154 pounds, but to say that he is a four division champion and won a title at 154. Now that option has been eliminated, um, your guess is as good as mine as to what's going to happen next, Chris, because I, I don't know that the money's there to satisfy both him and Pacquiao for this fight. Pacquiao is also, you know, in negotiations with Mikey Garcia to try to fight him, which I think for Pacquiao would be smarter because that's a fight 
the Garcia fight is one that I could see Pacquiao winning, even coming off of a long layoff. Whereas if he fights Crawford, I don't think Pacquiao has a chance to win that fight. Yeah, I agree with you there. And by the way, just an aside, for people wondering why Spence wasn't on the broadcast, A, he arrived late, and B, he was outside the bubble, whereas Crawford was inside the bubble as part of uh, uh. Maurice Hooker's team. Because believe me, if they were both inside, I would have had a 30-minute interview with them. I wouldn't have let them leave the camera site until there was like some kind of handshake agreement. I just, I, I couldn't have allowed it to happen. I could, I would have taken my earpiece out and said, I'm not, I'm not leaving. You can cut away if you want, but I'm not done here. So we settled, <laughs> so we settled this uh, one way or the other. Um, all right, let's look ahead to this weekend, Keith. Interesting heavyweight fight out on the rock of Gibraltar of all places. Dillian White, uh, Alexander Povetkin in a rematch of a pretty interesting fight last summer where, White knocked down Pavetkin two times in the fourth round. The fifth round, Pavetkin comes back and just drops White with a savage uppercut that had White out before his head hit the canvas. Uh, I'm hearing White talk all week about how when he puts Pavetkin down this time, he's going to stay down. And maybe that, that'll happen. Pavetkin's been knocked down many times in his career by top uh, heavyweights. But I hope yeah. Dillian White is not looking at that Povetkin punch as being a lucky punch. Povetkin can crack. He has hurt Vladimir Klitschko. He has hurt Anthony mm -hmm. Joshua. He has hurt all the guys that he stopped in his career. He has thunder in both those hands. So this to me, even though I probably favor White because he's the fresher, younger guy, I think he's got more uh, pop than, than, Povetkin, than Povetkin does overall. This is a tough fight in my opinion. It really is, Chris, because you really have no way, and, and even Dillian White has no real way to know how he's going to react, not just to getting knocked out. I mean, he wasn't stopped on his feet or knocked down and he got up and he tried to continue. He was viciously knocked unconscious, and you just don't know how a fighter is going to react to that. While he's 32 years old, he's a lot younger than Povetkin, you just don't know how he is going to react in the, when he starts getting clipped by, as you said, a pretty good puncher in Povetkin. And you got to give Povetkin a lot of credit, man. And remember the fourth round of that fight. I mean, he was well on his way to getting knocked out. He's got, he was dropped twice. Looked like he was pretty much spent. Somehow between the fourth and fourth, fourth and fifth rounds recovered and then just perfectly executed that left uppercut that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, he, just, he did it so swiftly and so expertly. I mean, I remember watching the fight at home that I was like, did I just see that? Did that really just happen? It was crazy how he just kind of came out of nowhere with that punch and knocked him on, you know, Dillian White was out cold. I mean, the, you know, the, so I, I, I give Dillian White a lot of credit for being, you know, he immediately exercised his immediate rematch clause. Um, you know, of course he has to go try to avenge the win, but he wanted it right away. And the fight was supposed to happen just three months after he was knocked out like that. So he really wants the fight. You got to give him a, he's always tried to fight the best guys. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he has a pretty good resume among heavyweights. Um, and, and you give him credit for just wanting to get back in there and prove that it was just a, mis a tactical mistake or a lapse in concentration that led to him losing that way. But there's no way really to know the answer to that until, until Saturday night out there in Gibraltar. Yeah, it should be a fun fight. Um, and, and I don't believe, and I think we're probably in agreement, that a win by Dillian White is going to reinstall him as the mandatory challenger. And even if it does, the WBC is not going to enforce that for, for a while. So if you're Dillian White, you've got to start looking at other options if you get past Alexander Povetkin. We've heard 
Deontay Wilder's name mentioned, Keith, as a potential opponent for Dillian White. I'd love to see it, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know where Wilder is at this point, both physically, where he is in the world, probably in Alabama, but mentally as well. I, I don't know what position he's in. I mean, we're now approaching late March, and we haven't heard really word one about the future of Deontay Wilder. Meanwhile, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua seem like they're headed for that two-fight agreement, which may not take place, by the way, until September or October. You just don't know when you know the landscape mm. is going to be clear enough for those two guys to maximize their revenue. I don't know. I mean, do, do we have any idea where Deontay Wilder is at this point and what his future may hold? No, I, I, you know, I, I've been hearing as you have, Chris, that you know Charles Martin, the potential opponent for whenever he does return to the ring in his first fight since he lost to Tyson Fury. Um, I just wanted to uh, just address something that you said earlier, Chris, about the mandatories. Dillian White just keeps saying that he's going to be the mandatory challenger again, and I know we've discussed it on the podcast before. But with the fight being Saturday, I, I don't understand his rationale there. He said yesterday on a conference call that I was on with a, you know, a bunch of other reporters, he said, it's, you know, it's in the contract that it's trans. It is the mandatory position is not transferable. The mm. interim title, obviously, if he wins against Povetkin, he would win back the interim title. But how do you then move ahead of fighters who are ranked ahead of you who have not been knocked unconscious viciously in the last seven months? You don't, that's the thing that he keeps ignoring. I mean, he said something about uh, Usyk and Joe Joyce can get in line and wait because I've been the mandatory. You just were knocked unconscious. He's pretending as if that didn't happen. That happened. That's reality. That's what, you know, Joe Joyce has never lost. He went and beat Daniel Dubois in what was a risky fight for him, beat him very convincingly, obviously. You know, Usyk is undefeated and, and has been, the you know, in the mandatory position for quite some time with the WBO. So, um, it's, and the other part of it is, is, as you mentioned, Wilder, there's no one who could say that they deserve a shot at the WBC BC title more than Deontay Wilder. He had a clause in his contract for a third fight with Tyson Fury. However you want to look at it, I feel he was wronged. You know, he, he's not getting that third fight, um, or, or at least temporarily, he's not getting that third fight. And he's ranked number one by the WBC. So how does Dillian White think? that he's the mandatory challenger. He's ranked number six. Vettel, obviously, he's not ranked anymore because he has the interim title, but you could quibble about some of the guys that are ranked above Dillian White. I mean, Luis Ortiz has already received the title and doesn't warrant getting a third title fight, I don't think. But <laughs> I just don't understand. And they just keep saying it. What gets aggravating is they just keep saying it over and over again as if because you say it, it's true. And it's not. It's not true. If he wins the fight, he's not getting a title shot anytime soon. If he, good for him if he avenges the loss to Povetkin. That'd be great for his career and he could move forward. But he's probably going to have to fight another top heavy, you know, another, you know, may, maybe if Parker probably wouldn't want to do this because it's dangerous. But if Parker gets past Chisora in his fight, you know, maybe you could make a rematch between Parker and Dillian White because Dillian White is not going to get a title shot anytime soon, even if he wins. Yeah. I agree. Um, and if you're Dillian White, just focus on the money, man. Like, you're, it, as COVID yeah. clears up in the UK, you're still a pretty decent draw. You can make good money on pay-per-view in quality fights. Uh, as you said earlier, Dillian's never really shied away from 
top competition. So forget the titles for now. They're basically tied up anyway and focused on making big fights and making big money over the next year, maybe 2022, whether it's optional or mandatory, uh, you'll get a shot at uh, one of the belts. All right, let's talk about Gervonta Davis for a second, Keith. Gervonta, uh, two-division world champion, this week was indicted by the Baltimore police on 14 different counts of traffic violations, all misdemeanors, all stemming from a hit-and-run incident back in November. Uh, we're not going to get into the legal aspect of this because you and I would probably fumble over that pretty good. But the fact that that Gervonta has now been indicted on 14 different charges, he still has what happened in Miami last year kind of hanging over his head with the domestic assault case. Uh, does this have any impact on his immediate boxing career or because it's boxing, we'll just see Gervonta continue to you know, book fights and continue on while these cases are pending? Chris, I don't think it'll have any impact on his career in terms of preventing him from fighting anytime soon. I think, you know, as long it's going to take a while, I would assume, for this case to play out. Uh, he, with all of the charges that are, you know, stacked against him, he could face jail time. I, I wouldn't expect that. Not that I'm a legal expert by any stretch, but um, of course, if he goes to jail, I mean, yeah, well, then he's not going to be able to fight for some period of time. But I, I don't. If I had to guess, I don't think he would wind up doing jail time, but it's another cautionary tale about, you know, just being smarter about what you're doing. And, and uh, you know, because I believe that incident happened the week after his fight against Leo Santa Cruz. I think it was the following, yeah. like during the following week, I'm pretty sure. Um, so one thing that always, and this is not just related to Javante Davis, but to a lot of other athletes, when you have the financial means uh, to, to make these things, just get a driver. You want to go out and have a good time? Go, go ahead and do it, do whatever you want within, you know, within legal limits, of course, do whatever you want, but just get a driver. I mean, don't get into a Ferrari or a Lamborghini and, you know, because it, it, that almost cost Errol Spence his life. I mean, and mm -hmm. if you don't, and, and I know Javante Davis is friends with Errol Spence and obviously is well aware of what happened to him and how it almost ruined his whole career. You would think that guys would learn from that. And, um, and, and in this case, it doesn't seem that Javante Davis did. Um, and, and as you said, he's had some other missteps and everything. You just hope that he, that he's, I believe he's 25 years old now, uh, 26, 26 maybe. Yeah. 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 I think he's 26 now. So you hope he's starting to, to mature, but I mean, this happened four months ago or so. So, yeah. um, it, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's probably not, he's going to fight in, in the summer sometime, you know, it's, it looks like Mario Barrios could be the opponent. Um, although I, I do think that's a, I don't. I don't consider Mario Barrios an elite 140-pounder, but he's a lot bigger than Gervonta Davis, and I do consider that a risky fight. I mean, he could weigh – he'll probably put a cap on what Mario Barrios could weigh in the ring, but he's a lot bigger than Davis. He's you know, at least five inches, six inches taller than him, would weigh more. You know, you know, he's not a devastating puncher, but he's a good enough puncher to make it a risky fight. Yeah. Um, on, on the legal stuff – you know, all you can say is Gervonta is incredibly lucky that the occupants of the vehicle he hit were not seriously injured. Yeah. That is the only thing from keeping those misdemeanor charges from being felonies and being the end of his career, the end of his life. Um, it, it could have been a lot worse. Like, it, we don't, we don't, 
have to go into the nitty gritty of it, but like the insanity of driving a brand new car and just leaving it. I mean, I don't know what he was expecting. Like, you know, you're not going to identify who was the driver of that car right. and cameras everywhere. I mean, right. the whole thing was just, just kind of bonkers to begin with, but he was extremely lucky that those occupants uh, weren't seriously hurt. I, as far as Barrios goes, since that was kind of uh, reported, I never really understood it. Like I'm with you. That's like a, that's like a high risk, low reward type of fight. Like you beat Mario Barrios. I guess you get his fictional 140 pound belt. If you want to keep collecting fictional belts, which Gervonta has been pretty good at over the, uh, in recent years. But like, if you, you're not going to get a ton of credit for beating Mario Barrios. It's only like the hardest of hardcore boxing fans even know who Barrios was. Like Leo Santa Cruz made sense. He was a lesser fighter Mm -hmm. than you, but a household name in the boxing community. Mario Barrios is not. How I know Mario Barrios is, I thought he lost his last fight against, or his, I don't know if it was his last fight, whatever he defended his title against Akamov or Akhmedov. Two, two fights ago, yeah. Yeah, when I thought yeah. he lost that fight in LA. Um, so you're not going to get a ton of credit for beating him, and you could lose. And if you lose to Mario Barrios, all of a sudden, right. everything you've built up up to this point uh, kind of gets washed away. What, what did you make of that? I mean, is there... What what, is, what do you understand the reasoning for Mario Barrios being penciled in as his opponent? It's sort of baffling to me, Chris, in the sense, like you said, yes, he can call himself a three-division champion, technically, but you're not fooling anyone. Mario Barrios is, and, and Mario Barrios is a very nice kid, tough kid. Yeah. I have nothing, you know, nothing against him. But he's not the real WBA 140-pound champion. That Josh Taylor is the is the real champion, and either he or Jose Ramirez will hold that title after May 22nd. So that's the guy you would have to beat if you were really trying to. Do. It's kind of like a smoke and mirrors. I, I don't get it, and, and and there is some danger involved because of the size disadvantage that Davis would face in that fight. It's kind of a perplexing one. I, I don't really understand. I don't understand it, but but he this would be the third the. Javante Davis, an incredibly talented fighter, you know, a devastating puncher, but this would then be the third WBA title he won in a weight class. He wouldn't really be the champion. Now, if you ask him, he says he was the real champion at 135, not Lomachenko. Well, that's not what history would tell us, right? And, and technically, um, if Javante Davis would have fought Alberto Machado, I'm pretty sure Javante Davis would have knocked him out. As, as it turns out, but Alberto Machado was really the WBA 130 pound champion. And then the WBA did bizarre things even for them. And somehow Javante Davis was the, was the super champion. So he really hasn't been the primary title holder. If you, if you look at it closely and either of the weight classes in which he's won titles so far, now he was the well, legitimate yeah, the, the he IBF was a legitimate belt, yeah, IBF, IBF right. 130 pound champion, and then of course he was overweight and lost that on the scale. Yeah, yeah, I just don't. There'll be plenty of time to talk about the Davis Barrios fight, but I'm not sure who that's good for and why that's good matchmaking with. with it's good for Barrios because it, yeah. it's a good payday for Barrios, right? I mean, it's good for him, but hundred yeah, percent, a much win- smaller guy. I mean, yeah, it's a winnable fight for him. Like, it's a very <laughs> excuse yeah. me, winnable fight for. For Mario Barrios. So good for him. Not so sure what Davis is uh, going to get out of it. Uh, let's finish with Ryan Garcia. And during the fight week for Virgil Ortiz, Oscar De La Hoya talked a lot about a plan he has for Ryan Garcia. Didn't articulate what that plan was, but says he's going to meet with mm-hmm. Ryan Garcia this week, talk him through some things, and hopefully come to some kind of agreement with Ryan about his future. 
I, I get the feeling, Keith. My understanding is that Golden Boy and Ryan Garcia are on two very different pages. Ryan Garcia is not happy with some of the offers that have been made to him lately. He was offered a million dollars to fight Javier Fortuna. He didn't want that, um, whether he wanted more money or a different opponent. Either way, he didn't want a million dollars to fight Fortuna. And I keep hearing talk, a lot of talk, that you know, there's some behind-the-scenes discussions between Ryan Garcia and PBC, <coughs> excuse me, and Gervonta Davis about making a fight. So, where do you think we stand with Ryan Garcia? I do think that Ryan Garcia legitimately wants to fight Gervonta Davis, and I think the feeling is mutual if they can make the money work for sure. So, you have to credit Ryan Garcia for being ambitious and wanting what what is a dangerous fight for him, also a, a dangerous fight for Tank Davis. Uh, so. Both of the guys deserve credit. If that fight come together, makes much more sense than Davis fighting Mario Barrios. Um, I, I don't know. It's hard to say any, what Oscar De La Hoya is trying to do with him because he didn't really divulge details other than that it was some sort of three-fight world tour. I, I heard him on, on the podcast with you last, and I heard him in, on a couple, of, in a couple of other interviews kind of saying, yeah, we're going to take him on a world tour. The thing that I don't understand, now maybe there's more money involved in this than I'm aware it might just make too much financial sense to not do it, but why would you take a kid who's clearly very popular and, and one of the few fighters in, among American fighters, one of the rare few who can sell tickets in the U.S., and now arenas are going to start opening up throughout the U.S. as we come out of the pandemic, hopefully, and you'll have at least 50% capacity in arenas and things like that. Why would you then take Ryan Garcia halfway around the world? Where no one, no offense, no one cares about Ryan Garcia. And I don't even know the countries he's talking about, but why would you do that? Why wouldn't you build his star? Unless there's more money in it than I'm aware of. Why would you do it? Like, why wouldn't you have him fight? Whoever his opponent is going to be in his next fight. Why wouldn't you have that fight in Southern California when it opens up there? or Las Vegas or, some, or Texas where, you know, they're clearly allowing a full capacity for fights. That seems to make more sense to me. Now, the other thing is, though, like Ryan Garcia went and fought for the interim title, paid a sanctioning fee, showed a lot of fortitude in that fight against Luke Campbell, really showed himself well, dug down, got off the canvas and came back and knocked out Luke Campbell. Well, that was to, that was to fight Devin Haney, and now he doesn't want to fight Devin Haney. Why did you go through with the interim title fight and pay a sanctioning fee if you weren't going to fight the champion, which was the whole point of the fight? Now, obviously, he served another purpose by beating a credible guy at 130. You know, not an, I wouldn't say an elite lightweight, but a pretty good one. You know, the, the next level below where they are, basically. Um, and he beat, so, and he knocked him out. But now, now he's just sort of dismissing the Haney fight. And I know, obviously, the zone would love to make the Haney fight. Haney would love to make the Haney fight, but it doesn't see as interested in it. Um, maybe he views Gervonta Davis as more beatable than Devin Haney. I, I don't know. I, you know, he's obviously fought Haney uh, four times in the amateurs. He's very familiar with him and vice versa. So maybe there's something there that he sees that he doesn't quite want to deal with now. I don't know what the reason is because he hasn't really, he has just said, I'm not doing it. He hasn't said why. He just said, I'm not doing it. And that seems like the natural fight to make. Some people would say, oh, well, it's too early. You know, Devin Haney's 20, they're 22 years old and you could just wait to make that fight later. But if we've learned anything, Chris, when you let fights marinate, what yeah. more often than not, the fights don't happen. 
So if, if they take the risk, if, if Haney and uh, Ryan Garcia take the risk, or if Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis take the risk, they should be applauded for that. And, and I know Davis is a little older than Garcia, but um, they should be applauded for that and not penalized for, you know, whoever loses the fight should not be penalized. But do you agree that it's, a, it's kind of strange that he has now just been so dismissive of the Devin Haney fight, like, it, like it's not even an option for him after all of the, what's happened the last year or so? Yeah, the only way I can explain that is that Devin Haney just doesn't excite Ryan Garcia. And I feel like Ryan is just, as much as he's looking for money and titles and accomplishment, I think he just wants something to get up for and get really excited about. You can't say that Ryan, nobody would ever say that Ryan is, you know, intimidated by Devin Haney or thinks he'd lose. Like the amateurs aren't the same as the pros, but they fought, as you said, many times in the amateurs. They're familiar with each other. And mm. look, to me, that's a coin flip type of fight. Devin Haney's a really talented guy, but so is Ryan. And Ryan possesses the kind of power that Devin has not faced at 135 yeah. pounds up until this point. I think, Keith, Devin Haney has a huge opportunity in May when he faces Jorge Linares. If he goes out there and knocks out Jorge Linares, which five other fighters have done, so it's, it's doable to, when you fight Jorge Linares. Mm -hmm. If he goes out and looks spectacular against Linares, that might move the needle in the mind of Ryan Garcia that a Devin Haney fight is worthwhile. We know the money's there for it, as you said. I mean, Eddie Hearn's willing to backstop it. You know, there'd be seven figures for both these guys. I, I just think in, in his own head, he, he, he wants these fights that he feels matter, that he feels are impactful. And Gervonta, largely because he's out there knocking guys out and looking spectacular doing it, he just excites Ryan a lot more than Devin Haney does. I do, as I said, think it's a movable feast. I mean, I think if Haney looks great against Linares and knocks him out in five rounds, it's going to catch Ryan's eye. But if, he, if Haney goes out there and wins a decision against Jorge Linares, we're not going to see Haney versus uh, Garcia this year. Yeah, you know, maybe it would make him want to fight him more. I, I, it probably would, I guess, especially if he stopped him. But then he would be – I'm not saying that Horley Linares is still a good offensive fighter, but he's 35 years old. And, you know, we can't overlook the fact, as you mentioned, Chris, that he's stopped five times. You know, this is, this is not a guy who, you know, got clipped once and that, and that was it. He's been stopped five times, including getting demolished two years ago against uh, Cano. Mm -hmm. And, if, yes, it was a 140-pound fight. It wasn't a 154-pound fight. He moved up five pounds, and he got knocked down three times. Yes, he moved up in weight, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't jumping up multiple weight classes or anything. He got destroyed in that fight, and that can't be overlooked. That was the fifth time that he's been stopped in his career. Very good offensive fighter, and, and you know, he, he is, is he a more credible opponent for Devin Haney right now than a 38-year-old Yuri Orcas Gamboa? He sure is, but, I mean... It would be another credible win on, on Haney's record and, and the most credible win for him in his run as a lightweight title holder here for sure. Um, I, I would just like to get a clearer understanding from Ryan Garcia as to why this fight, whatever his reason is, I would just like a clear understanding of it because I don't understand saying all this. You know, They go back and forth with each other on social media all the time. Again, you pay the sanctioning fee, you win the interim title, you're presented with a, a chance to fight for the world, you know, for you know, the WBC is, is doing crazy things too with the, with the lightweight title, but, um, but a, a world title fight, you know, a seven figures for a world title fight that I think a lot of boxing fans would be excited about. Could it be a bigger fight if it happened two years from now? Sure. But could one of them get picked off in the interim and, and then the fight 
you know, isn't as big, that also could happen. So again, if Ryan Garcia can give some better explanation that he's given, because, because who does he want to fight? I mean, like if, if the Gervonta Davis fight doesn't come to the next for money or whatever, and he's, and Ryan Garcia has said multiple times that he'll be reasonable in negotiations for that fight, whatever reasonable might mean. Um, but if they can't make a fight, who, the Pacquiao thing was farcical from the very beginning. There was, it was nonsense. The, the fight was not happening. The money wasn't there. It was never happening. Yet people made it seem like it was, oh, we're, uh, you know, it just looks like it's not going to happen was the ultimate answer. And it's like, yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. But there was a poster. So if there's a poster, <laughs> that means the fight's going to happen. I, I'm with you. I think that if Gervonta, if that fight doesn't materialize for whatever reason, whether it's Gervonta's own legal issues or uh, a simple matter of failed negotiations, uh, Ryan's going to have to look around and, and see what his options are. Like, Teofimo's gone. Like, at some point, he's going to fight the winner of the 240-pounders, Taylor Ramirez, for that belt. No. So that's not going to be an option for him. I guess he could fight for an, a vacant title, <laughs> but that, to my earlier point, that's not going to really excite Ryan Garcia. So that's why I keep putting it back on Devin Haney to look good in this fight. I, even though it, it, you know, to you and me, we'd understand it's a 35 year old for Linares. It won't matter as much, but given that we've seen Devin Haney kind of outpoint guys and outpoint guys and just kind of go through the motions and, and look really right. good, but not spectacular. I, I think that would just create a little more buzz around that event and move, move it more closer to that happening. I don't know if it's going to happen, but move it close to that. happening. Yeah. So one thing I would say, Chris, is I admire his ambition for, for wanting to fight Javante Davis and all that. But the part about him not being excited about it, I, maybe that's true. But was he excited about fighting Luke Campbell? Was that, was that what he had circled on his calendar five years ago or something? You know, I mean, it, it was a reasonable step up in competition, and he passed the test. But that's not an exciting fight. Now, now he has to be excited about the fight. I would say, Keith, I, I would say, happen. like, I mean, oh, I only, the only reaction to that is that when – in the, in the last pre-pandemic fight, when he knocked out Fonseca in the first round, one thing Ryan yeah. said when, when Haney was sitting there in the ring, he goes, I'm going to fight, I'm going to beat Jorge Linares, and that was when that fight was going to happen in July right, of, right. of last year. I'm going to beat Jorge Linares, I'm going to beat Luke Campbell, I'm going to beat Gervonta Davis, and then I'm going to fight yeah. Devin Haney. So he's kind of checking guys off you know, his own mental list. So as a year ago, this was kind of the path he wanted to go down. So maybe he's fixated on it, mm -hmm. and that's the way he wants to go. Um, but that, at least that's the only, only explanation I can give as to why he's going down this road. Yeah. No, I, yeah, Chris, your guess is, is, you know, I'm not saying it's not a reasonable explanation. I just, I just don't understand his rationale for just dismissing that fight at this well, point. Well, that's, that's what we do. I'll say this, though. If, if they, yeah. Go ahead. If, no, if, they do, if they do make the Gervonta Davis fight, well, people will be very excited about that. So, there, so the, you know, There'd be no quibbling with that, I wouldn't think, if that's the next fight for those two guys. But, no. but boxing being boxing, I think we both would agree that that probably won't be the next fight for those two guys. No, and I think that, you know, I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. There's a lot going on with Ryan Garcia behind the scenes. Um, but even if there's like a financial agreement between Davis and Gervonta, or Davis and uh, Garcia, like you've got another network involved in DAZN that – believes it has a contract with Gervonta or with uh, Ryan Garcia, Golden Boy involved as well. I mean, it could get, it could get messy mm -hmm. in these next couple of months involving Ryan Garcia. I just hope as part of the messiness, it doesn't keep him out of the ring because that would be worst case scenario. Like Ryan 
is a bona fide attraction. You want to see him fight, whether it's against Fortuna or a Linares type or uh, Richard Comey could be in the mix. I've had Lou DiBella calling about that over the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Uh, he wants that fight to to happen. So uh, getting Ryan Garcia back in the ring one way or the other should be uh, a priority. Keith, good to talk to you, man. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other at Mohegan Sun over the next couple of weeks. I think I'm going to make my first trip down there uh, April 10th for the Boots I'll, 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 I'll believe it. I'll believe it. I, will I believe I, I it live when just I see as close. It. I live just as close as you do. That's only an hour and a half drive for me. I know. Okay. Oh, I know. Well, it's a two crap. and a half hour drive at least for me, but I'll believe it when I see it. Craps tables are open, my friend. We'll uh, have to meet up there <laughs> at some point. Appreciate your time, Keith. <laughs> All right, my man. Always. When we come back, my conversation with Demetrius Andre. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, Demetrius Andrade is here, WBO middleweight champion. He is back in action on April 17th down at the Hard Rock in Florida. He is defending his title against Liam Williams. That's a fight you can see on DAZN. And Demetrius, I guess we start here. I mean, how are you feeling about facing Liam Williams? I mean, listen, I'm I'm happy to get back in the ring. Uh, Liam Williams is, you know, uh, in the UK, credible um fighter and so it's gonna be um a good a good matchup you know it's so you, the uk versus the u.s at this point but um you know i'm, I'm ready i'm good and it's uh, another step to get closer to you know hopefully getting into the, the ring with the other elite guys tell me what the last few months have been like for you because you were chasing a big fight um you know you had been vocal about not being all that interested in defending your title against Liam Williams, and now you're here. I mean, what have the last few months been like? Oh, no, nah, I mean, listen, I was trying to work on something that's going to be more attractive to boxing and to myself and to the fans. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, who I was supposed to fight back then, and, you know, he did what he had to do the dirty stuff, and it didn't happen. And so he became you know, moved up to the next weight class. He became WBO champion. And then at this point, it's like, hey, listen, I'll move up to 168 to fight you for the WBO or you come down and fight me for the WBO. Either one, either way, you can do that. And so, you know, people try to sit here and say, because I was going after like Canelo or Triple G or whoever else I mentioned, people always got some people were saying stuff back saying like, who would I fight? Who would I fight? Who would I fight? Well, I'm trying to fight Billy Joe and then see, I'm trying to fight Triple G and it's just like, okay, what are we going to do and how can we make that happen? And so fighting Liam Williams isn't like an ideal fight because I want to fight these guys that's going to put me in that position that's going to get me the Triple G fight or Triple G get me the Canelo fight or Billy Joe get me the Canelo fight or the Triple G fight or the Chalo fight. Like, these are fights that's going to help make that happen. I don't really know about Liam Williams. Who knows about Liam Williams? Not that he's not nobody or he hasn't fought anybody. It's just that he's not the – nobody even mentioned him or no of him. So, therefore, that's why I was going through, you know, the whole thing about trying to fight somebody big and – Liam Williams happened to get the opportunity because Mungia, however you pronounce his first name right now, um, he was my number one guy, and he said no. He didn't want to fight me, and so went down the list, and now Liam Williams, somebody that is willing to fight me. So this is just going to give me another, you know, uh, action-packed, entertaining fight on my behalf to go out there and, you know, show him why I'm the best. You know, for a while, I thought you were trying to get into professional wrestling. At least if you follow your Twitter account. Hey, you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do. Some kind of combat, combat sport, but MMA, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't know if I get hit in the shins. How, um, I mean, how, how is your conditioning at this point? I mean, I, I can't tell if you're kidding or not when you're tweeting out that I'm, you're over 200 pounds and um, you're just starting to get back into the gym. Like, how are you conditioning-wise a few weeks out? Oh, I'm great. I'm in great shape. Look good and feeling good and I'm um, ready to tangle, you know? I'm just ready to get in there and make it happen. You think this weight cut will be any different? Um, it's all, all, all weight cut is the same. It's miserable. It sucks. And <laughs> nobody wants to do it. So cut weight cut, it sucks. So I don't know, you know, <laughs> even if you're not a fighter, you'd be like, oh, I'm putting on Chris Maddox. Oh, I'm putting on too much weight. I got to cut four pounds this week. You'd be like, damn, it's only cut two. This shit's hard regardless. 
I am trying to cut way more than four pounds, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. It's, I, I hear you. I hear you. It's yours is harder, but I can, uh, I can relate to that. Um, your reaction to Saunders getting the Canelo fight was what? I mean, you know, it was something that was brewing up back then, either Colin Smith or, or Saunders. And at the end of the day, I look at it as far as, you know, I think I was used as far as my name for leverage for Billy Joe to get the fight, because if not, then, you know, the Billy Joe fight and Demetrius fight could be possibly made, but at the end of the day, it was all smoke and mirrors so they can, you know, sail the deal with Canelo because you have Billy Joe screaming, oh, I, I want to fight Demetrius Andre before May, but, but, but I'm not waiting for Canelo. And, now, and so that was what I mean by smoke and mirrors and using my name. So, because the chances of me beating Billy Joe is is high. And then Canelo wants to unify, so you got to come through Demetrius Andre once again through our rankings. I've been champion at 154, 160, and then I would have been a champion at 168. If you're looking to unify, you got to fight me. Mm. I think, and you know this, I think you're the most avoided fighter in all of boxing in any weight class. Uh, we did hear Terrence Crawford say recently that he thought Canelo was avoiding black fighters. He mentioned you by name, and he mentioned Jamal Charlo by name. Uh, what do you think of that? I mean, listen, you know, he, he's sort of, you know, in the same type of boat. He wants to fight the best, and the best are not fighting him. And he's and you can see that in other weight classes. You can sit there and say, oh, the heavyweight division. Oh, why Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder fighting a long time? Or now Tyson Ferry. So, but, you know, they, they're finally stepping up to the plate and making it happen. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's clear facts what he's saying. Like what I just mentioned, I've been championing two different weight classes with Canelo also, and nothing ever happened when he says he wanted to unify the division. And um, at the end of the day, he's he's he 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 knows boxing, he knows politics, he's he knows both sides, what it feels like, and what he's looking to do. I'm looking to do, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he he understands. I think you can make a, a pretty decent case that. Canelo has avoided a fight with you. There have been opportunities in the last couple of years, given affiliations, that a fight with you would be pretty easy to make. I'm not so sure about Jamal Charlo. I mean, Jamal Charlo, Jamal Charlo is avoiding you, not Canelo. Like he's yeah. not trying not to get that fight. In fact, I don't know what's going on with Jamal yeah. Charlo at this point. He doesn't want he doesn't want David Benavidez. He doesn't want you. I don't know what yeah. he wants. Yeah, he's it's just that funny. I was like see his interviews. It's just like uh, so what he's like. He's like nobody knows Andre. Nobody knows Andre Andrade. Andrade. It's like yo, it's funny because everybody. If everybody knows me as they don't know me, then I guess everybody knows me, right? And then when you mentioned David Benavides, he's like, I'll fight Andre. <laughs> what the hell? Nobody knows me, bro. What are you talking? But yeah, I mean, we don't know what he wants to do, you know. But on this side, me, I can only speak for myself. I try to showcase and show, like, yo, I'm willing to fight Billy Joe at the next weight class. I'm willing to fight Triple G at 160-pound division. Um, you know, that is on the zone platform, and that's with Eddie Huns, something that can be made with the fighters that we have on this side of the, uh, this side of the platform that can be made. And if not, okay, let's go see if we can go to make a deal with, you know, Charlo. Right now I just heard, um, you know, I might get his name, Murata. He just, now he got, so it's just like, let's make these things happen. If I can't even get fights on my own side, let's go, let's go and take one on the other side. And, you know, Murata might be willing to do it. 
I feel I I think Murata and Golovkin are one up tangling at some point to unify those belts. But I mean, I got everybody would love to see you versus the winner of that fight later in this year, especially for Golovkin. If if there's no Canelo fight happening, and it certainly doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon, I, I don't know what. I mean, that's you crazy. versus Golovkin is the biggest fight. Yeah, that's crazy though. Like Golovkin, you like you know, I'm saying it because I can't get the Golovkin fight right now. Or, you know, maybe he has have a change of heart. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. But you're gonna look to go over there to fight Murado when you guys can. We can make a big fight here. You're gonna get paid more fighting me than you probably would Murado, or you're gonna get paid regardless if that's what the situation is. But when it comes down to it, it's a threat factor. You know the possibilities of fighting Murata, you're winning more than you would have fighting Demetrius Andre, so that's going to stop you from Canelo trilogy, that which I don't think anybody cares for, really, at the end of the day, or anybody even wants. And at the end of the day, Canelo's team, yo, they're smart, bro. Listen, Canelo, right? This is what they say. Oh, let's just wait another year. Let's fight whoever we got to fight. Let's just wait. Oh, Triple G now is 41 years old. Oh, let's just wait one more. Oh, Triple G, you still around? All right, let's fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then we're going to be like, hail Canelo, hail Canelo, hail Canelo. Like, come on, bro. This shit's crazy. So Triple G needs to get out of that and just realize, you know what? If I want to make my mark, make my own legacy, let me fight whoever else is also the best out there and win, lose, or draw. But boom, I did it. I have my boxing career. Move on. That's it. You have the WBO middleweight belt, but because of WBO rules, you have the ability to flex a little bit if you move up to 168 uh, and become the mandatory for the WBO version of that belt. How much have you thought about that, about using you know that kind of card in your deck or that tool in your box to to get a, a shot at a 168-pound title? Well, that's what, I was, that's what I was working on to fight Billy Joe Saunders. And like I said, they used my name for leverage to secure the Canelo fight. Now, if Canelo wins the fight or Billy Joe wins the fight, I could still do that. But, you know, then you got, I don't know why the belts are at the 160-pound weight division that they're fighting. It was a WBC, WBO. is two belts, right, or something mm -hmm. that they're fighting for. So, you know. They I, have three. I they get three at stake. Everything but the IBF is at stake in that fight. Okay. So, I don't really know how. I never been in that situation and know how it will be played out and who gets what first or how, you know, the picks are when you have all these belts in hand. So, I mean, I don't really know in that situation. But in that case, yes, that rule still exists where I can still fight the next weight class up or the next weight class down for the WBO. Yeah. What's Eddie Hearn tell you about what's realistic for 2021? Um, you know, um, <laughs> Eddie and I is, 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 is tough because he says he's, he's, he's out there trying to offer Chalo, you know, money. Set, he, or first offer was $7 million. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe, you know, you got to spend more. Yes, yeah, a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but it's a big fight. You know what I'm saying? It's a big fight and a big draw for unification. So maybe more money. Maybe that that will happen. Um, what are we doing with Triple G? What about Billy Joe? So it's just like these are these are the, the the opportunities we have where he needs to step up to the plate himself and make these fights happen. Because I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm fighting whoever is willing to fight me, and I'm been fighting whoever they say this person is willing to fight you. First up for you is Liam Williams on the 17th. Are you, he's talked a lot about you over the last couple of months. What are you expecting from him? I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I expect everybody to come when they fight me. They're fighting for a world title opportunity, become a world champion. So I'm, I'm expecting everybody to bring their A game, to bring the best they can. 
So that's what I expect out of everybody. And I bring the, and I expect myself to, you know, bring my A game and work hard and do what I need to do because at the end of the day, somebody's trying to take my head off. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it don't matter if his name is Canelo, Liam Williams, Triple G, they're all trying to take my head off. So at the end of the day, I'm going to do what I need to do and, and be smart and train hard. And hopefully this gets me, you know, I'm looking past him as far as, like, he's not stopping this train, but I'm not looking past him as far as, like, oh, this is an easy fight. Oh, this is – no fight's easy. Boxing, nothing about boxing is easy. But I'm looking to get past him and get on to the big and better things like I've been wanting to do, and which, you know, hopefully it happens sooner than we need, later. We need Providence to open back up for you, man. I was hoping this fight was going to be in Providence. You did really well there last time in terms of a crowd. I, I was hoping this fight would be able to land in your hometown. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I was too, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, just because even 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 though you brought that up and that was, it was funny because I was looking at some shit when Jamal Chalo, I didn't realize he fought on that same day mm. in his hometown against Brandon Adams. And I think he did 5,000 seats when I did like 11. So um, it just shows like, you know, the fan base will, is, is out there. And wherever I go and travel, there's still going to be fans that's going to support Demetrius Andrew because at the end of the day, they know I can fight. Mm-hmm. And what brings it more attractive and more people coming out is an attractive fight, me versus Billy Joe or, or Triple G. So at the end of the day, I mean, listen, I'm just trying to do those type of fights. I'm telling you, you versus... Triple G in Providence with Sergio Mora, Peter Manfredo three on the undercard. That is a guaranteed sellout, Demetrius. No, for sure. Uh, people will love that. <laughs> Especially the people who love out there for Peter Manfredo fans. That's that's almost senior circuit boxing, though. So uh, we'll have to take a, that's a brief shot at Sergio on the way out. I mean, listen, if Tyson and um, Jones are doing it, they'll be <laughs> right. They're like, what, 10 years younger? So they'll be all right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, Demetrius Andre back in action April 17th against Liam Williams. Always good to talk to you, man. And I really hope, as I always do, that 2021 is a big year for you. You get that big fight that you're looking for. Yeah, appreciate it, Chris, man. Thanks for everything you do as far as what you do, all sports and everything, and supporting the, the fighters. And um, you know what I'm saying? God bless you, yo. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.